live from Radio Catskill Studios in Liberty, New York. This is the local edition. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. Coming up, we're going to meet Brock Pinkeris, 13-year-old race car driver from Ellenville, who's hot on track to one day compete on the nation's biggest speedways. And believe it or not, folks aren't as eager to serve as election officials in Pennsylvania as they used to be. In fact, turnover of election officials may have meant the loss of nearly three centuries worth of cumulative experience and expertise since 2019. Investigative reporter Carter Walker with Vote Beat and Spotlight PA will join us live in just a few minutes. But first, we've got news from Albany where Governor Kathy Hochul is defending the decision by Democrats in the state legislature to alter congressional district maps recommended by a bipartisan commission. Uh, Governor is also urging the legislature to hurry up and finish the latest version of new congressional district lines, saying she will step in and help them vote sooner if she has to. The new maps are widely interpreted as giving an edge to Democrats over Republicans and perhaps influencing control of a closely divided House of Representatives. Karen DeWitt has more. Democrats who lead the Senate and Assembly are drawing new lines for the 2024 congressional races after rejecting maps approved 9-1 to by the bipartisan Independent Redistricting Commission. The changes could benefit Democratic incumbents Jamal Bowman in the Hudson Valley and Tom Swasey. He recently regained his Long Island-based seat after George Santos was expelled in late 2023. The new lines could also potentially disadvantage Syracuse-area Republican Brandon Williams, whose district now includes more Democratic-leaning voters. The new maps could be approved as early as Thursday. Governor Hochul, speaking at an unrelated event in Schenectady, says she she wants the lines to be in place as soon as possible. Petitioning for primary races has already begun. There's a sense of urgency around this. People are out there with their petitions already. So I'm anxious to have this uh, chapter wrapped up as soon as possible. I believe the legislature wants this wrapped up uh, within the next day or so. Uh, so, no, we're taking it very seriously. One of Hochul's options is what's known as a message of necessity. Under state law, legislation needs to be made public three full days before before it's voted on. But governors can send the message of necessity to speed up that time frame. Hochul says she hasn't yet decided what she'll do. There are options available to me as governor. I'm having conversations with the legislature on what that looks like, but, but they have to finalize what they would want to vote on in the first place uh, before anything else can happen. This is the legislature's second attempt to redraw the congressional lines following the 2020 census. Lines created in 2022 were rejected by the state's high court as unconstitutionally gerrymandered. A court-ordered special master then drew the lines for the 2022 elections. Critics say that contributed to four seats flipping from Democrats to Republicans and helped the GOP narrowly regain the U.S. House. Republicans who are in the minority in the state legislature accuse Democrats of thwarting the will of the people. In 2014, New York approved a constitutional amendment that set up the redistricting commission and limited lawmakers' ability to gerrymander districts to benefit one major political party over the other. Senator Jack Martins, a Republican from Long Island, briefly served on the redistricting commission. He says Democrats should have accepted what the bipartisan panel came up with. We should all, as a body, understand 
And I hope we all do understand that this is about fairness, process, and our responsibility to the residents and citizens of this great state to make sure that we move forward with a process that has actually worked against perhaps all odds. Hochul defends the Democrats' actions, saying that the Constitution allows the legislature to draw its own lines if it's not satisfied with the commission's option. It is the prerogative of the legislature to vote yes or no, and if they vote no, they have an alternative. That's exactly what is allowed in the Constitution, so they're wrong in their assessment. The governor says this is the first time that the state has completed redistricting since the state constitution was changed. She says there were bound to be glitches. Whenever the final vote is taken, it's not likely to be the end of the process yet. With the control of the House potentially at stake, it's expected that GOP lawmakers will challenge the Democrats' newest lines in court. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network. Thank you, Karen. And for our next story, we're going to move from New York to Pennsylvania, but we're staying with election news. And to help us out, we're going to check in with VoteBeat, the nonpartisan news organization covering local election administration and voting. And they partner with Spotlight PA, just as Radio Catskill does. Investigative reporter Carter Walker has uncovered a pressing concern within Pennsylvania's electoral framework, and that's the significant turnover of election officials. So many officials have left, in fact, that it adds up to a loss of nearly three centuries worth of cumulative expertise since 2019. This upheaval underscores potential vulnerabilities in electoral accuracy, particularly with the 2024 presidential race on the horizon. It's a big election year. Vote Beats Carter Walker joins us now. Welcome to the program, Carter. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having us. So uh, let's start. How did you come to the story? What led you to uncover the story about uh, Pennsylvania's election officials turning over at such a high rate? Yeah, so there's been a lot of conversation uh, since 2020 about election directors and election staff in general leaving their posts. Uh, You know, down in Virginia, we saw a whole county office leave. Uh, My colleague in Texas reported on a whole county office resigning. Uh, And people in Pennsylvania, you know, the story's been no different here. Uh, There's been a lot of folks leaving, but the conversation around it's really been very anecdotal. So what we wanted to do was get some data behind it and just get a handle on, okay, exactly how bad is the problem here in Pennsylvania and how bad has it gotten since 2020. So we reached out to all 67 counties and put a records request in with them uh, to see the years of service for their officials. And like you said, what we got back was that we've lost about three centuries worth of uh, experience. Wow. So so you wanted to know if this is just anecdotal or if it's real. I guess you found out that it's real. And is it more real than you even anticipated? I was expecting um, a high number just based on the conversations I've had with some directors here in the state. But I think even more significant than than the three-century figure is that 300 years represents one-fifth of the total years of experience that we had in 2019 when we administered that year's election. Uh, And, you know, to to lose one-fifth of your – one-fifth of anything is pretty big, I think. 
Well, let's talk about where the, those years of experience lie, the, the roles that these people play. You're talking about uh, election officials. What, what kind of uh, office and capacity did they hold? And, and again, you're talking about how many years they served in those offices overseeing elections, correct? Yeah. So in Pennsylvania, most people would be uh, familiar with this as the election director, uh, the person in their county who's running the election day to day, you know, they're, they're purchasing equipment and ballot paper and saying, okay, we need to get these machines out to this precinct. So we asked every county uh, and a lot of counties have deputies that do that job as well. So we asked every county to give us the, the salary and hiring and firing dates uh, for their director and their deputy director, whoever in their county was equivalent to that position. Um, So, so we're not just talking about the staff that would work under them. We're talking about the people at the top of the office, which is, you know, really the most important role in the office because they're directing uh, how precincts get set up and what equipment goes where and who needs to get hired and what, what things need to be purchased at what time. Um, so they play a really important role in, in making sure the election actually happens. Right. And so once you identify, so you're mainly looking at election directors once you identified that role and you looked at how folks are leaving how, how did you measure the the impact the ramifications of this widespread loss of institutional knowledge well the impact is pretty clear if you just look at some of the problems that we've had with our elections the past couple of years um, we had also done a story in december i think which we spoke to your listeners about about ballot errors and administrative errors over the past couple of elections and there have been just a, a very steep increase in, in ballot errors in Pennsylvania. And these are things like telling voters that they can vote for three commissioners instead of two commissioners, where if they did vote for three commissioners, then their entire ballot would be void because that's an overvote or uh, having the wrong return dates on a ballot um, and which, you know, could cause a, a voter to return it at the wrong time. And when you look at the counties where those errors are happening most frequently, it's also the counties where they are having the highest turnover. Uh, Green County has had a lot of turnover. I think they're on their sixth or seventh election director since 2019, uh, you know, which is a lot in a four-year period. And just last year, they had three pretty major ballot errors uh, right in a row in October. Uh, Luzerne County, of course, your listeners probably know about, had a very uh, infamous and widely publicized error in 2022 when they ran out of ballot paper. Uh, and the district attorney there who investigated that problem was pretty clear that the problem was that the election staff had just been turning over so much and nobody knew when to order the ballot paper. Oh, my goodness. See, that that was something that, that I remember. We were doing live election night coverage that night, and we were counting down to when polls close uh, in New York, when they close in Pennsylvania. And we all of a sudden we had to say, well, except Luzerne County, we're going to be waiting later now because a judge had to rule that uh, voting places stay open later just to make up for that mishap. So that that's a real real time impact uh, on the electorate. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that that really does show perfectly how this isn't just a problem of it makes it more difficult to work in that office, but it, it has a downstream effect that can really be negative for voters when, when counties can't retain the folks um, that know how to do these things. And you mentioned there that, you know, that, that there was an investigation into that and, and 
that's pretty clear that there's a connection between the turnover and that mishap. Are, is there anybody commenting on, on these mistakes in light of the turnover? Is there anybody that talked to you about this and actually commented on it? Yeah. I mean, I, I've talked with the um, secretary of state about it. I've talked with some election directors uh, around the state about it. Uh, and our former secretary of state who oversaw the 2020 election, uh, Kathy Bookfar, and all of them are very clear on the fact that, yeah, this this turnover issue is a real problem. It's going to cause issues for us uh, in how we administer our elections and in, in these errors increasing. Um, Secretary Schmidt, our current Secretary of State, he said it was the one of the biggest dangers that our state faces. Um, so he's really not mincing words there on on how much of a problem he sees it as. Wow. And does there seem to be a level of concern there? I mean, where they, they say that, I mean, that, that sounds like they're concerned. Uh, are, are, do you see things lining up, people stepping up to address this issue? Or is it even possible to address a loss of institutional experience like this? Yeah, there is definitely, they are definitely trying to do what they can. I mean, part of the problem is, you know, with a lot of election related things in Pennsylvania, part of the problem or, or not necessarily a problem, but just a challenge comes back to that we administer our elections separately in all 67 counties. It's 67 little elections going on at all at the same time, which is similar to many states. I'm not sure about New York, but a lot of states do it that way as well. So, you know, hiring and retaining employees, that's a problem of each individual government. Uh, but trying to overcome this, you know, this real issue of the experience we're lacking now is something the Department of State is trying to address. They've been uh, instituting some new training programs for the new directors uh, that are coming in. And as part of that, they hired a election director who had worked for a couple of years in Montgomery County outside of Philadelphia, which is one of our larger counties. And she has some good experience and she's kind of uh, giving those new directors kind of some peer mentorship to let them know, okay, well, Here's, here's how you do some of these more technical aspects of the election. The Department of State also created a calendar of sorts of, okay, this is when you need to be proofing your ballots, and this is when you should be ordering your paper. Uh, and they're trying to, as much as they can, bring some uniformity to the things that they do have control over and the things that uh, are, the same, are the same across counties. Uh, but, you know, just the... The overarching problem, which no county or the Secretary of State's office could ever solve on its own, uh, is just that these election directors become a very, you know, not as one former election director described it to me when he left his job. He just said it, it, it's not fun anymore. Um, it's become very stressful. You know, they get threats. They get harassment. They are. Um, question with, with almost every decision they make, which, you know, for a person who is just trying to do their job does not make it a very uh, pleasing environment to do your job in and come into work every day, nine to five. Uh, and I'm not really sure how, you know, the Department of State or a county could address that. That's really just more of a cultural problem that we're living through right now. And that's something that, that I was interested in seeing that you're counting this loss of experience and, and a number of these directors stepping down. You're charting that since 2019. 
2020 was the last time there's a big national election, a presidential election year uh, in Pennsylvania. And that was a year where not just folks living in the Commonwealth, uh, but people around the country were watching Pennsylvania and were watching closely how the elections were being uh, run in Pennsylvania, as well as what the results would be. The eyes of the nation were on Pennsylvania. Uh, is that part of the impact that you're seeing? Is that part of why it's not fun anymore? Yeah, I think definitely. And, you know, we, as you pointed out, we started collecting our data in 2019 because that was uh, the year when we, before we saw a big change to our mail-in balloting system that increased the stress level and it was before election directors really started to face this uh, onslaught of attacks and harassment. And uh, it, if you look more detailed down into the data set I have of, of all of them leaving, you can see um, a ton of them just started leaving in 2020. And, and that's where I, I spoke to Kathy Bookbar, the, who was the Secretary of State at that time. Uh, and she told me uh, so it, was a, it was a very stressful year for them. Uh, you know, not only were the eyes of the nation on them, but... Uh, they were getting questioned uh, throughout the entire year on top of having to deal with some, one of the biggest changes to our election laws uh, in a generation. And so that just, it, it made it a stressful environment for them that a lot of them uh, did not want to continue through. And, and that trend of them, you know, succumbing to that stress has really not abated very much since then. And just just a reminder, like those changes to the election law, those were primarily to address the pandemic, or, or am I mistaken in that? Actually, yeah, it was. It came before the pandemic. Uh, in 2019, the legislature passed a law to eliminate the need for providing an excuse to get a mail-in ballot. Previously, you had to say, "Well, I'm out of town, or I'm sick, or something. Uh, that's why I can't make it to my polling place." But they passed a law that that was no longer needed for, and that went in, that was passed in 2019. But the first year it was in effect was 2020. You know, so it, it people weren't expecting it to be as big of a deal as it ended up being because obviously the pandemic uh, made it just a lot more convenient and safe to vote at home. With the increased amount of. Uh... And, and forgive me, I know Pennsylvania calls them something different than they do in New York, so I don't use the wrong term, but there, there's mail-in ballots. Um, with the increased amount of those, uh, at least one election commissioner I talked to in Pennsylvania in recent years you know, said that their job would be easier uh, at election time if they were able to start counting those. They're not allowed to count them in, until uh, live voting is done. Is that a, a, a possible solution or a possible factor that could play into this? Has anybody mentioned that to you? Yes. I mean, election election directors, um, voting rights advocates, good government advocates, uh, lobbyists for county governments ac across the board and, and in a bipartisan manner, folks are uniform in, in saying exactly what you've just said, that part of the problem that makes this mail-in balloting system more stressful is that they can't begin opening those ballots and counting them before Election Day, uh, which is part of the reason we had uh, results delivered late in 2020, because counties were still counting those mail ballots that, uh, in the days after the election. You know, election directors have learned and, and gotten some financial support from the state now to deal with those mail-in ballots, just make it go a little bit faster. Uh, 
but still they can't start it before 8 a.m. on election day. And if they have a lot of mail-in ballots this year, again, it could be a possibility that they don't finish on election day and they have to keep going through the night and into the next day. Uh, so it's something that they very much want to see changed. Uh, the prospects on it actually being changed before the election uh, seem slim to none. Uh, there were some attempts in this past year in the current legislative session, but none of those were successful. And earlier you, you talked about uh, how election officials remaining on the ground as well as officials in Harrisburg, Secretary of State, uh, what they're trying to do to uh, relieve this situation, help fix this problem. Are you hearing from, uh, and the suggestion you just mentioned there, there's people that are even outside of the system making those recommendations. Are you hearing from other like non-governmental entities, people that have an interest in elections? Are they making any other suggestions to address some of the problems that you've been looking into? Yeah, um, there is one other thing that has been getting talked about, uh, you know, whether or not anything will be done on it. Again, open question. But in the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of uh, recount petitions getting filed with counties. Uh, in 2022, this was a particular problem. There's a lot of recount petitions in the governor's race, uh, and that did delay the certification of, of the election that year. Uh, and these recount petitions are, are fairly easy to get. It only takes uh, three voters uh, claiming that they believe that there was fraud or error in the election and $50 to get a recount. Uh, and good government advocates that I've spoken with and, you know, election advocates and directors kind of say, well, you know, we, we believe that there needs to be a mechanism for folks to object to results when they see them. Um, but this standard is too low. Uh, and in fact, in a story that we wrote uh, a year or so ago, we pointed out that the $50 threshold for getting that uh, recount petition was set in 1920-22, and the equivalent of that is about $850, $900 now. Um, so it, it obviously originally wasn't intended to be such a low barrier. And so that's something else that I think election directors would like to see to make their job a little easier. Uh, but again, whether or not anything gets done on that this year or or even beyond that is remains to be seen. And throughout this whole conversation, you've been talking about various impacts that this situation will will have on elections, has had on elections, may have this year, a big election year, 2024 presidential uh, ballot year. Um, as you look at this after talking to everybody, what, what other implications might this turnover rate of election officials have for the integrity and smooth execution of this year's election? I think the the real danger in it is if if there is some kind of minor error that gets caused just because, you know, and, and no disparagement here, just because an election director, frankly, doesn't know what they're doing or doesn't know better or just because the law is complicated and they make some kind of mistake, like we saw in Northampton County uh, this past election where there was a an error that occurred with their machines and made it appear as if votes were being flipped. If that happens in 2022, when the eyes of the nation are again upon us, like they were in 2020, it's just going to be amplified all that much more. And as the secretary of state put it, um, bad actors are going to take advantage of the smallest human errors and blow them out of proportion to call the results and the integrity of our elections into question. And, and I think that's why people are really concerned about this, not because those errors 
really have a material impact on the results. Generally, they don't, but just because of how those errors will be perceived. Right. And making the case that people's perception of the electoral process is just as important as their actual on the ground experience with the electoral process. Uh, with that in the, and we've only got about a minute for this, if you don't mind, you have another story came out just this week. Everything you need to know about Pennsylvania's voting machines, how the state keeps them secure and more. And the subhead explains that political candidates have spread false claims about Pennsylvania's voting machines. Uh, in part to undermine trust, which is similar to what you were just talking about there. Uh, in the last minute here, Carter, do you want to give people an idea of what's uh, in this, everything that they need to know about voting machines? What should people know? Yeah, this is part of the series we're trying to do ahead of the election with our partner Spotlight PA uh, that is just going to take a look at all the election, uh, parts of the election, and try and demystify them for voters. And the thing folks should know about elect- uh, voting machines that we try and convey in here. It's just the level of scrutiny that they go through before they ever interact with a voter at a precinct. Uh, They go through two layers of testing before they can even be purchased by a county and then a layer of testing before each election to try and make sure that they're secure and accurate and performing uh, as they should be. Uh, So, yeah, I would definitely encourage folks if they have questions about voting machines or other aspects of the election to check out this story at VoteBeat or at Spotlight PA uh, and and as well as the other ones we're going to have coming here soon. Well, Carter, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Well, I want to thank you for looking into this, and then I want to thank you for sharing your time with us tonight to go over it all with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Carter Walker is an investigative reporter for VoteBeat. His work is at VoteBeat as well as Spotlight PA. And you can find the article that we've been discussing tonight on our website, wjffradio.org. This is Radio Catskill. It's the local edition. We're going to move right along uh, to our next story here. And uh, that's about a young racer, Brock Pinkeris, a 13-year-old race car driver from Ellenville, New York. And even though he's racing against competitors who are in their 30s and 40s, Pinkeris has done more than hold his own. He hopes this is the beginning of a long career. One day leads him to winning the Daytona 500 NASCAR race. Radio Catskill reporter Marin Scotton spoke to Pinkeris about his success on the track. For nearly half of his life, Brock Pinkeris has been racing cars. Born and raised in Ellenville, Pinkeris started racing slingshots, which are three-wheeled vehicles, when he was just six years old. Since then, he's worked his way up the ranks. From the beginning, racing has been a family affair for Pinkeris. His parents, Paul and Jennifer, support him wholeheartedly in pursuit of his dream to become a NASCAR driver. Um, it means a lot. Um, they help me out a lot. I mean, it's they probably they're my biggest sponsor on my car and my family, and uh, they pay for everything. They do everything for me, and uh, I really appreciate it. Now 13 years old, Pinkeris, who is known on the track as Bam Bam, drives crate late models on dirt tracks. He's racing against drivers nearly double his age, and winning too. Um, when I sit in lineup, I, I, I mean, I don't worry about it. I just, you know, I'm like, dang, like I'm like only 13 and I'm racing against like 40 olds and 30 olds. Um, so I do think about it a little bit, but it doesn't affect me when I'm racing. In January, Pinkris hit a peak moment in his career. 
winning the Dirt Car Sunshine Nationals at Volusia Speedway Park in Barberville, Florida. An exciting feat for any driver, let alone the youngest one there. All the way from Hallettville, New York. Break out the stick. It's Bam Bam winning at Volusia. Man, it's a dream come true. Uh, I didn't think ever in my life I would be here doing this right now. Thank you, guys. It's definitely uh, a hard, it's really hard to win there in Louisiana because there's so, so much good competition. And um, you're, you're racing against the best people in almost the whole entire world. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was really uh, surreal when I won Belugia. Going forward, Pinkerus has big dreams, but he's not finished racing on the dirt just yet. Um, I'm racing the Rush Series uh, Tour. Um, we did the same deal last year, um, and I'm hoping we can do a little bit better this year and hopefully pick off a couple wins and uh, championship. Some of my goals are you know, to um, make it to NASCAR and you know win Daytona. Um, but you know, I I love my deal right now. I love doing dirt racing. Um, maybe pick up a Lucas Oil Championship or word outlaws um so i definitely uh see myself hopefully doing that and uh hopefully i can stick with it that was brock pinkeris an up-and-coming race car driver from ellenville new york in liberty i'm maren scotton for radio catskill and thank you maren for that report Thank you, listener, for listening to the local edition. That's it for tonight's local edition, but I will be back tomorrow. I've been your host, Jason Dole. We'll do it again, and we'll check in with River Reporter, get the latest news headlines. For now, I encourage you to keep on listening on air and always live streaming at WJFFradio.org. Mr. Kusar Grace will be live with the Music Emporium coming up at 7. And after that, we've got Upfront Soul. And before all of that, we still have more news. The Daily starts next. This is Radio Catskill. Listen local.